You're listening to Pim Talk, the product marketing podcast, brought to you by InRiver. Welcome to PIM Talk, the podcast for product marketers, merchandisers, and PIM professionals. And every second Tuesday, we come together to share knowledge, experiences, and challenges to be able to create even better product stories. Maybe you're wondering what PIM is. PIM is a software that is all about managing all product marketing information in one place to create a rich customer experience in all channels and shorten time to market. And if you're new to PIM, check out our first episode, What is PIM? I'm your host, Thomas Schwabberg. I'm the creative director at InRiver, and we want to do this podcast for you and with you. So please contact us and tell us what topics you would like us to cover, what guests you would like to have on the show, or maybe you want to contribute in any way. So you can email us at pimtalk at inriver.com or send a message on Twitter at pimtalkpodcast. Hey there, and welcome to this anniversary episode. So right now we have been doing this for two years and 50 episodes. So that's a lot of content. And if you haven't listened to the backlog yet, I would encourage you to go back and um, look through the episodes. There is a lot of good content around PIM of all kinds of angles. Uh, We bring a lot of partners and customers and industry experts to sort of widen our knowledge and our horizon when it comes to what you can do around product marketing. And um, also, if you want to sort of have a walk down history lane, I would suggest that you go to YouTube and you can search for PIM Talk History. And you will find a compilation of videos that I did for uh, LinkedIn uh, these last weeks, wherein in each part, I talk a little bit about all the previous episodes and also give you some histories and insights behind the scenes um, of this show. Everything from how the intro music came to be, uh, the live events, uh, some, you know, quite funny incidents that that happened that led up to certain episodes and so on. So um, available in small chunks on LinkedIn, but also I put everything together to a big compilation and put on YouTube. So uh, search for history. PIM Talk on YouTube and you'll find it and I hope you will like it. Kind of interested in how we can take this to the next step and uh, one thing that I wanted to do for a long time is to have some more interactive uh, exchange with the listeners. So um, one way of doing that is of course to um, before an episode announce it on LinkedIn and take questions and comments and that's what we did before this episode actually and we got quite a few questions also on the Instagram account. Uh, another potential way of doing it is to have sort of a, a private group for the ones that are more interested. Uh, for instance, a Facebook group or so where you can sort of stream content or you can have discussions afterwards within that group. But one thing that I'm interested in to pursue now is to live stream the actual recording of the podcast so the next coming weeks i'm going to look into that and i'll announce that uh, through um, the social channels of of in river and uh, my own as well so if you're interested 
expect there to be um, a live stream on YouTube or on a website um, where you can join, you can listen into it in the background uh, and maybe you know ask some questions in the chat and we will be able to sort of to to uh, use your questions as a part of the interview. So that's um, an opportunity for you to be more engaged and also have your voice be heard uh, within the podcast. So um, yeah, let's try to make it happen. And on to this episode, I'm very happy to have Tom Davis, the Global Digital Operations Director at Cartier. And we're going to talk about his career and what he has done working for some of the most famous brands in the world. Also, how PIM can enable the next step of commerce going further. So without further ado, let's go in to the talk. Today, we are very happy to have Tom Davis, the Global Digital Operations Director at Cartier, as a guest on the PIM Talk podcast. So welcome, Tom. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Could you just start telling us a bit of your professional journey? I mean, what have you done before and how did you end up at Cartier and also your introduction to PIM and the PIM space? Yeah, no, I, I it's it's a pretty interesting. Well, I, I think it's an interesting journey, at least. But uh, so I've been in uh, the world of digital and, and mostly e-commerce for well over twenty years. And and uh, actually, I gradu- graduated university in the mid '90s and uh, literally fell out of uh, college and uh, started working for a e-commerce startup. I had a, a few friends of mine who went to university knew I was graduating and. They graduated a year before me and they said, uh, hey, uh, we, we heard about this company, Amazon, hmm. and they're, they're selling books online. And we really think that uh, people might might buy stuff online. And I, I was, I guess, none the wiser. And I said, oh, yeah, it sounds cool. How much are you offering? And, and uh, I moved. Uh, I moved to Washington, D.C. And, and, and I started working with these guys. And we were working literally in a barn in the middle of uh, Maryland, which is a state outside of Washington, D.C. And hmm. we, we basically went door to door knocking on local shops and retailers saying, would you like to build a website? And uh, if you want to build a website, we think we can sell some of your 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 products online. And I think more often than not, the door was slammed in our face um, <laughs> because nobody really knew what the heck we were talking about. And um, so I got my my start doing that, and and we got lucky with a few local clients, and and started building websites, and and there my journey of shopping online really, uh, or my e-commerce experience really started, and uh, and then from there I I, I kind of followed the the dot com craze at the time, um, all the way up into the dot com bust of two thousand one, and started realizing that uh, maybe it's not as easy and the, the, every rainbow doesn't have a pot of gold at the end of it. Um, and uh, I'd moved away from kind of working in the startup world, uh, which that was, uh, and, and found myself uh, moving into larger companies that wanted to get into the e-commerce business. And um, I found myself uh, still being in a very entrepreneurial role, but really in very large companies, uh, you know, usually a billion billion euros or more in revenue per year, basically working as a, a small team, uh, building e-commerce businesses for whatever corporation we were working for. And, and, and uh, I think uh, there's a few that are notable in, in that line. Uh, one was really the first foray into something 
more progressive, which was working at Tommy Hilfiger. So I, I was uh, the first e-commerce employee at Tommy Hilfiger um, in North America and was charged with building out their e-commerce business, um, my, my, myself being the first person. So it was hiring a team, building, a, you know, getting a platform, building the processes in place and um, you know, had great success doing that, which then parlayed uh, in a subsequent role um, to a company called Kenneth Cole, which is another fashion group. Um, and then uh, I moved into uh, moving away from just doing U.S. operations. Uh, I, I, I got um, recruited and, and joined Puma, the sports brand. And uh, okay. so this is kind of, uh, you know, I guess in 2010 and um was asked to do something much bigger and bolder, which was uh, to to take Puma's e-commerce business, which was quite small at the time, and to try to take it global. And okay, and uh, so it was really trying to how do you set up a business not only in North America and Europe, but how do you go into Asia? How do you go into uh, South America? And 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 how do you sell e-commerce into a very wholesale distributed business, which was not only challenge, challenging from just a corporate dynamic standpoint, but also I was based in America. It's a German company owned by a French fashion conglomerate, which is you know just showing you all the connectivities of a business like that and uh, and then which then landed me where i am today which is a cartier where i've been for just uh coming on four years and um all of them you know are not necessarily the same businesses and business types um the the common thread between you know even since as i said where i started out uh, at a university it was really they all connected through digital uh, they all connected through e-commerce um, and in any shape or form, you know, what was really interesting was the fact that uh, all of them uh, really had to, to be built around a product catalog and, okay. uh, and product information. And how do you take a, let's call it a, a traditional business that hadn't been really focused on digital for, for a long time or at all, I should say. And how do you digitize a business that's been really a, a physical business? And, um, so it's, it's, it's been, you know, a fun journey over the 20 something years. Um, yeah. and, and, and obviously product and information is at the core of what I do. Yeah. And was it when you started at Catria that you moved to Europe? Because you're Europe-based now, right? Yes. Yeah. So, the, good point. Um, yeah, I'm currently based in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, okay. and and I moved to Europe solely for this role, and uh, which was a learning point of even my last job when I was at Puma. I was on a global role. I was based in the international office in Boston, but uh, all of the you know the the executive team at Puma was based in in Germany. So. I learned uh, if I was going to do this again, uh, I'm going to be in headquarters because uh, <laughs> the amount of time I spent on a plane was uh, not kind to, to my lower back, I should say. So, uh, so, but yeah, so I'm over here in Geneva and first time uh, living in, in Europe uh, for the last few years. Yeah. And uh, how do you feel about that? <laughs> how is it being an American in, in Europe? I, I mean, it's, it, well, I, I guess you, you could, you could, you Play play the game and say it's because of Trump, but uh, just be but no, I mean, in seriousness, yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, it it all coincided with with obviously when Trump was elected, but um, it, it's it's interesting. I think I think you get a really good appreciation for the dynamics of a global a global business. I think much more acutely living in Europe than you do in the U.S. I mean, I think 
American America and Americans and the way they operate business is usually the USA first and kind of then the rest of the world is out there. Yeah. I think when you when you uproot, you force yourself into uh, a new culture, obviously a new culture that speaks a different language or multiple languages here in Geneva. It forces you to really think globally and especially as an American. I mean, especially as an American, I'm, I mean, I'm the poster child for, you know, I speak one language and I can barely do that well. And, uh, you, you move to Europe and you've really got to be forced to, to appreciate different languages, different cultures, different ways of working. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think that that's a, a great analogy for even how we run our business today in the digital world is that you just have to understand that there's, different types of people and customers out there that want to be communicated with in different ways. And, yeah. and I think for me moving here, it starts with understanding cultures and, and, and what they expect. And I think that has also been a benefit from, uh, for us at, at the university, since we are from a small country, Sweden, I mean, we need to start thinking global and multi-language from the beginning. So yeah. I, I think compared to some American competitors that, you know, have been most, most, most focused on one market, I, I think they're in the global economy and the global e-commerce space. We are, we have been, you know, starting out from, from a good, good starting point so to speak but one thing that i thought about now uh you telling about your journey uh, within e-commerce from an early stage you went to tommy Hilfiger, you went to puma when did you first hear about pim or or was that an aspect of your initiatives that you were driving on these companies or did it come later no i so I, i'll tell you two two funny stories um because how i came to my awakening of pim was purely serendipity or happenstance it just it was not planned and and as i was saying earlier one of my first jobs or the first job i had out of at a university i was working at the startup and as i said uh, earlier you know we went door to door trying to sell people on the idea of selling online and and you know as luck should have it we were we were very fortunate to to sign a few companies on to to go on this adventure with us and my first appreciation of pim is in retrospect because when i the first one of the first clients we signed way back in 1997 or something like that was a, a company called back to basic toys and they now have a website called back to basic toys.com i believe um and the the way we built that site and, and you may laugh was um at the time nobody had digital records of the catalog. So we, we, we they basically had an, a, a physical catalog that would get sent to you in the mail and you would thumb through the pages. You pick a product that you wanted to buy, which was a toys, kids toys. You would call them up on the phone and uh, you would place your order. Yeah. And so naturally online e-commerce was really good for American culture, which is a catalog driven culture. And so we basically had to digitize this catalog. Hmm. The problem back then is that nobody had these files in a format that was digitized you had to scan the patients right yeah so the <laughs> first product catalog that i made on one of the first websites that i participated in was back to basic toys and the way that we created the catalog was i i put the catalog in my lap hmm. and i typed out 
every single piece of information in that catalog into an Excel spreadsheet. Oh, okay. So I, you know, I made, you know, the, 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 the columns, uh, from, you know, uh, from left to right, you know, is reference number, (laughs) part number, price, short description, long description. And then I just filled in all of this and it took me days, you know, and, and at that point I was not a very good typer. So, uh, the, the amount of errors that were there were incredible, but flash forward, it was funny. So that experience was very helpful in hindsight because it wasn't until I got to Puma where I was asked to globalize this e-commerce business. And as you said, just going back to even what we said about before about different languages and cultures, um, the way that we worked Tommy Hilfiger was one dimensional. It was, it was English. It was us dollars, very simplistic. So you could run that business with an Excel spreadsheet, if you will. <laughs> and and I, my, my joke always is, is that uh, an e-commerce site is basically just a glorified Excel spreadsheet. You just make it look pretty, you know, and it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty simple when you think about it that way. Yeah. But, uh, but when we got to Puma and you start looking at different languages and price points and different descriptions, and you start realizing that one product in one market could be for men and in another product, it could be unisex. You start looking at your, your, your catalog in a, in a very complicated way. And I was completely overwhelmed uh, with how to do this. And I actually, at the time, so this was 2010, um, in two, early 2011, I happened to be looking up online, like product catalog, or I was looking for videos on YouTube of, I really was in over my head. And I found a small trade show in Dallas, Texas, which was a master data management trade show. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I signed up and I flew down and it was, you know, I, I was a fish out of water. I was in the, I was from fashion. Uh, I'm working for a global company and I think there was probably 50 companies there and maybe 10 to 15 providers. And it was mostly medical device companies. And, I remember listening to somebody from Johnson and Johnson speaking about how they had some sort of product that needed to have different criteria developed into their, their database because of medical legislation was different from one country to the other. Yeah. And I honest, honest to God, a light bulb went off in my head and I go, Oh my God, this is what we need. We need a system that can be flexible enough to hold kind of your master information. And then you need to be able to create different versions of this information, depending on in in our world, what market we were going into. So, and it's weird is the only way I really put that together was understanding that 20 years ago, I was typing in catalogs, you know, into Excel. And then I had moved and obviously progressed in my career to a a place where it was about variations and colorways and different naming conventions and different languages with different attributes for a very global company. And I ended up in this place in Texas at this, you know, it's some, some, you know, God forbidden, you know, dungy uh, hotel uh, (laughs) and somebody from Johnson Johnson blew my mind of what was out there. Yeah. And from there I started realizing that there is a small market, um, you know, 10 years ago of this kind of this, this discipline or this technology or software, however you want to put it. And that was my first road. And then we, we went at Puma, we went in and, and we, we found a provider to build us our first PIM setup. 
and uh, it was not easy. Mm. But once we had it in place and once we designed it to the spec, I mean, let's put it this way. The, we were so early on in PIM with the provider that we chose, who's, who's a well-known one, and, and they're a fantastic provider. They'll, I'll keep them nameless. Um, <laughs> they did not have um, three levels of hierarchy built into their system yet. And, and, okay. and meaning that they had, um, they had, uh, you know, uh, they did not have a uh, color size, uh, variance, uh, the variant levels that they did, they didn't, they didn't have a, uh, you know, the parent child relationships only went one level deep. So it was, yeah. you had, you had, you had a, a, a black tire that comes in, or you have a tire that comes in only black and white. Mm. It never was black and white. And then under white, you have small, medium, large, um, yeah, and this, this company, you know, they're, they're, they're. They came from the automotive space, and okay, and, and, I see. and and so they only thought about products in two dimensions, and in fashion you need three. Yeah. And so we were the first client that they ever had that built out three levels of variance, or you know, okay. the, the parent-child relationship. So uh, it's quite a journey. But uh, yeah, sorry, that was a very long answer. But that's kind of how no, we it's got fine. To, it's yeah, fine. So, to where we are. Yeah. So so when you came to Cartier, you already have PM experience, and you know the light bulb had. Uh, thing had already appeared. So, could could you describe your universe a little bit about you know your work on Cartier, uh, where PIM fits in, uh, and what your visions are, what you want to accomplish in the market? Well, yeah, I, I think I came into Cartier. You know, I, as I said, I'm not from fashion. Um, I'm probably the you know the most unfashion, or not, I shouldn't say I'm not from luxury, and and I'm coming from fashion, and 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 so it's a very different world of clients and client expectations. Um, but as you rightfully said, I, I I came into the role already having experience with PIM and understanding the benefits it can provide a team strategically um, in, in terms of how to roll out and create different websites, if you will, at the time. Um, but also from a workflow perspective, I, I saw the benefits uh, at Puma and how they were applied and how we were able to manage a catalog that, you know, basically turned over four times a year with 60,000 products every every quarter. And, you know, we were doing much larger volumes. You know, we're not talking millions of SKUs, but but a, a good, you know, 100,000 references a year. Where Cartier is very different. Um, this is a non-seasonal business that has probably, let's call it, uh, I'll just on average, 2,000 references that are fairly stable. Um, we we participate, we, we, we tend to sell what I would call more evergreen products, meaning they live in perpetuity. So you launch a product, it's live for a few years. It's not something that you take down. And it's jewelry, right? And it's exclusive watches and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good point. So it's it's jewelry, uh, it's watches, uh, and accessories, so sunglasses, belts, and handbags, and 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 really, we're known for our jewelry and our watches. So these are very, you know, one reference, one color type of setup. And and so, just as you said, I came in already having a PIM knowledge of what can be done in terms of workflows. And what I realized when I came to Cartier is that we have a we have an older PIM solution that really had been designed, I think at the time in a rightful way, which was just to get product information into a database that could be exported. Fine. Uh, but what, what, what I started coming into to the reality here was that the way that the information was cataloged was a one dimensional, one size fits all approach. So, um, a, a watch was defined as being a reference, a name with attributes. 
it was never defined as a watch could be also considered a watch with a leather strap versus a watch with a steel strap, a watch with a gold case versus a watch with a steel case. Mm. You know, different ways of segmenting the catalog was not possible in, in our PIM. And, and if you were going to segment in a different way, you would have to do it by hand. You'd have to download everything, put it into Excel, and then wherever you had that Excel became your new master data. Um, or version of your master data. And um, it really, you know, and, and, and we can talk more about it, but uh, I think the customer in the luxury world does not look at products one dimensionally. Okay. And, and, and I think that that's where our journey um, really started here at Cartier was, yes, we had a PIM. It was functioning, but not functioning in the way that the, what I think and what we're seeing that our customers demand and 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 especially expect for a luxury item. So what are channels in your world? Where do you sell your products? The information that you create, where should it go out? Yeah, so so we, we, we primarily participate in four types of channels. One is uh, our own retail boutiques. So we, we own them and we operate them and we have a, a few hundred around the world. Um, and then we also sell and distribute through um, wholesalers um, and distributors uh, around the world. So that could be something like a department store such as Harrods. Uh, it could be a watch specialist, which is a, a distributor that only sells watches. So somebody like uh, Boucheret. Um, it could also be, um, you know, any variation of uh, some sort of um a different type of wholesaler as well. So that, that, that's it. That's what we call our watch specialists. And then uh, the third one would be the obvious one that we've started was e-commerce. So selling direct um, online. And then we also sell direct through our call centers. Okay. So, so we have four main channels that, that, that we sell through. Yeah. And I guess besides, you know, making sure that you have all the, the, Basic data ready. You also need to sort of maybe transform or or uh, make sure that you um, adjust your product information in order to support what those customers need or those channel need. Right? Yeah. So the, the syndication channels uh, as well there. Yeah, and and I think you're you're hinting at exactly what what our challenge was is that I think before I arrived because our PIM was one dimensional, you know, one size fits all, mm. all four of those channels received the product information the same. Yeah. There was no differentiation. And, you know, and specifically, um, you know, if you're in our boutique, maybe that doesn't matter so much because our store associates are very bright and capable and experienced to be able to adjust how they talk to their customers and di about different attributes around the product. Um, but when you go into wholesale or you go into e-com, um, these are very different clients that have very different expectations. And, and, and if we're giving, especially a wholesaler, just a one size fits all approach, they can only sell what they know. And yeah. uh, I think it's fair to say that um, somebody who may be going into Harrods to buy jewelry has one set of expectations uh, from a sales associate, but somebody who's going into a watch specialist who's a watch connoisseur may have very different demands about knowing the mechanics and the history and the attributes of a watch in a watch specialist store. But yeah. if we're providing each of those channels with the same information, I, I think it's fair to say that we're not, um, 
we're not helping the process because I don't think we're providing the right information, at, at least when I got here. You're listening to the 50th episode of PIM Talk, the product marketing podcast. And after this short break, we're going to continue talking to Tom Davis at Cartier. PIM stands for Product Information Management, and InRiver stands for PIM. Want to learn more about how your organization can benefit from PIM software? We've put together a free white paper where you can learn what you need to know about how your e-commerce platform can benefit from PIM. Go to www.pimtalk.com to download a free guide to help you better understand how PIM can work for you. That's www.pimtalk.com. Would you say that there is any particular challenges within the luxury industry when it comes to e-commerce and PIM? In terms of challenges, I, I think for us, what we're starting to see, and um, and I think it's really, I mean, luxury is a laggard. I think if you look at luxury in general uh, compared to other industries, it's a slow adoption and, and they're, they're the last to move. And, mm. and that's because there's been such a concentration of holding on to the exclusivity and and driving a push marketing or push communication strategy meaning you you to hold an air of an aura of exclusivity you need to control the conversation yeah and 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 i think that's been true and why luxury is what it is i think that there's always um, a perception that you you want to have something i mean i i don't think people fundamentally need certain things to survive uh, luxury is a is a is a type of product or category that is self-indulgent that's to be fair um mm. and you know I, i would say up until 10 years ago the conversation was always controlled by by the brand yeah um and and i think today in today's world with the information that's disposable at people's fingertips by just you know computer and using google or whatever you want to call it um the conversation has shifted <laughs> therefore different as i said you know whether you're buying a bracelet a handbag or a watch the conversation or the interactions that you're having with a potential customer are different today okay and and i think the the way that the the analogy or the metaphor that i use quite a bit is buying luxury at least for cartier is, is much like buying a high-end car and the customer journey to get to purchase is is quite unique and 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 one um there's a, you know when you buy a car most people don't walk in and buy a car within one day because they have a spur of, a spur of the moment you know what i need a i need a mercedes right now i'm going to walk into the dealership and buy it yeah normally you go onto a website you do a little research maybe you go in and you take a test drive then you go home you think about it for a couple of weeks maybe you go to a couple other dealers you try things out and then maybe at one point down the line when you think it's a financial option you make a purchase yeah um i think it's very similar for us and therefore uh in the digital world um these types of experiences these types of interactions are not all the same okay and you know the experience that you see in a mobile versus a website versus going into a store going to a tablet uh going to a billboard in new york city something showing up 
These are to me what I call screen experiences. These are opportunities to touch customers. And these are all opportunities and places where product information probably needs to be shown, displayed, and curated. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I think the role of luxury and the lo- role of digital and the way PIM fits into it is becoming quite complicated mm. um, because you do need to serve the right information at the right time if you can anticipate the need of the customer. And as I said, you know, I, I call it internally with my team, I call it a little bit, it's like the bumblebee uh, path, which is <laughs> our consumers are bouncing between channels yeah. and they're bouncing, be, bouncing between touch points. We're not quite sure when and where they're going to happen and what order they're happening in. Therefore, all the channels need to be in concert. And and the role that I find with luxury is that in, in you know, where we were five years ago, if we were serving our customers or the bumblebees, it would be a one-size-fits-all approach and each interaction would be the same. I have a question I need to add. So what's the most expensive item that you can buy online from Cartier? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think uh, our most expensive item is probably around 300,000 euros online. So is there anyone that are buying these items online? or, or uh, you know? You'd be surprised. Yes, we have a few orders a year which are, are are certainly in that neighborhood okay so i wouldn't say it's it's common but uh but we do have uh and, and i should say we don't even show our full catalog i mean this is just what okay. we feel comfortable selling do you have hidden sites for special uh, customers <laughs> not yet not yet but uh something that we'll, we'll probably we'll probably dream of is it uh, rich uh, oil uh, shakes, uh, Russians and Chinese people that are buying these, or is it you know? If, if, if I won't name any names, but we have quite a few famous footballers. Okay. Who who uh, uh, who come and shop on our, on our site quite often, and uh, there's a couple of them coming a few times a year, and and when they do, they make some big purchases. Cool. Uh, I also did a shout out on social before also if there were anyone that, that had any questions for you and we actually got, got a few so I would like to you know take them yeah uh, and, and we can do short answers uh, on these so one here is from Brian Carbell at Pine Point Consulting he, he wonders how many watches do you own <laughs> how many do I own <laughs> yeah uh, I own four okay which which and, and I, I put the preface of this is um, before I joined Cartier, I owned none. So I have increased quite a bit. And then we have a number of questions from uh, Chris Christoph, uh, at is um, working for Media Maps Groups. Uh, let's see what to take here. Okay, this uh, I think is a good one since you've been working for Inriver for a few years. Which yeah. which of technologies? No names. Uh, implemented by Cartier lately were the best investment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, for, for in my world, I mean, InRiver has been in, instrumental in changing the way that we operate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the investment, and I mean, this is a little bit, uh, you, you know this, but uh, yeah. I mean, I think the benefits, and, and I, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I talked about a great PIM solution that we put in at Puma. It was wonderful. It was, it was amazing for what we did. Mm-hmm. The challenge with that was that it took a long time to implement it was an on-premise solution and quite expensive. Yeah. So I think, you know, to give you guys a little bit of shout out, I mean, I think it was a great investment in River because it was obviously cost-effective. It's a SaaS solution and lightning speed to get up and running. Yeah. And so for me, uh, the the way that we value the investment is really the time to market. The amount of, the amount of time that we've saved deploying some of our new screen experiences 
Um, we, we, we've been going, we went, you know, from years on some of these projects, just a matter of weeks or months. So, I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's a no brainer. And he also asks there, and this is connected to that, uh, what was the most important lesson you learned the, the last years? Have you, you know, something that you have tried out or, or something that you didn't anticipate that, that you have learned uh, over the last years? Well, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I, I'm a huge PIM proponent, um, mm. and, and I get very passionate about it, and I think people internally know that maybe too well, that I, that, that I will get up on my pedestal and shout about it because I think it's – it's absolutely instrumental to be to to demonstrate digital agility in today's marketplace. I think yeah. if you don't have a system that allows you to curate, customize, and distribute, syndicate your data in a fast and reliable way, I, I really think you're 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 going to struggle. And yeah. and so for me, having learned that at Puma, and again, I stumbled on it. And, yeah. and, and, and having that learning experience, which, you know, I, I, you know, maybe there I had more bumps in the road because of the way in the, the technology that we were using was a little bit harder to, to, to manage, yeah. uh, coming, coming to Cartier, I knew that coming in. So to, to, to understand that and to me as a digital executive, I think if, if I didn't have this in my toolbox, I, I think we would, be very, we would not be in a place where we are today. So yeah. I think understanding that is critical for success. Another question here, it's from uh, Tobias Monson at our partner Avencia. How do you utilize PIM to present the exclusiveness of your products? Well, th that for me is probably pretty straightforward because, you know, inside the PIM, we can, and we're starting to do this, um, we can put our full catalog. So as I said earlier, we're only putting, you know, up to 300,000 euro products up online. Mm. The, the brand like Cartier, you know, we have obviously products that go into the millions and, and uh, we don't show those online, but we do have that, that, that information in the PIM. And so we're starting to create exclusive screen experiences that are aimed at certain clientele and certain audiences that most people won't see. And so because we have uh, InRiver in place, we can segregate that, that content and, and we can distribute or syndicate that content to these experiences, to these certain audiences. Um, it could be an app. It could be, uh, as you said, a secret site. Um, and at some point, you can just have login credentials and segment people just ba based on CRM data. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's all completely doable uh, in, in that regards. Super. Uh, another question here. Uh, it's from Luis Matson, uh, application consultant at Jilin uh, Berg, also from the fashion industry, like you've been before. And she's wondering uh, what's the most challenging when handle multiple channels, countries, and different prices. If I remember correctly, that your customers travel far distances to reach better prices. Well, yes. So I, I would. I think that there's a couple pieces there. Uh, so when I worked at Puma, we did have different price points per region. And, and yeah. I, I think that's a, it, it's a different business model. Whereas, you know, you may find uh, less of the same product for, for, for a, a lower price in, in one market versus a, another. I mean, that's more of a financial business decision. I mean, the PIM can handle that, uh, of course. Mm. In the world of luxury, um, at least at Cartier, our pricing is usually on par, on par or parity so that uh, we try to 
price at a place where you can't get arbitrage yeah. between markets. So, I mean, it does happen. Obviously, uh, uh, currencies fluctuate, um, but in the in you know the mindset of luxury, from what I've learned, is it's it's not good business to to price a luxury product, you know. 500 euros less in one market versus another because then you'll have people crossing borders and um it's also a a band a, a brand detractor at that point so um so i'm not sure that's a necessarily a pim issue um i think managing it but uh yeah that that's certainly something that uh, i we handle differently here at Cartier than we did at puma yeah i think i'll take a short one more here from from chris what are, from your perspective, the three most important pillars for building a luxury brand in digital? Well, I mean, uh, so I, I, this isn't going to be related to PIM, but, um, you know, I, I think I think Cartier, you know, my, my mindset in, in Cartier is that I call it the, the, the holy trinity. It's my inside joke. But uh, okay. uh, that we have three, three main pillars that, that allow us to be su- successful. One is we have a wonderful brand name, brand heritage. So, uh, and, and that that's a difficult one to achieve. You know, you, you, we've had it for 150 years. Yeah. Um, you, you can't build a brand name um, and, and a brand DNA overnight. Um, but I think we have that at our disposal, which is great. Secondly, we have wonderful products. Um, you have wonderful products, wonderful craftsmanship, wonderful history on those products. Um, obviously you've got a great brand and great products. You're, you're super successful. Um, and then the the third piece for us is resources and resources is not necessarily money. Um, it's the capability to allow us to try, um, and, and expand and explore opportunities. And, and, and that for us is means that we, as I said earlier, we have the ability to sell through four different channels. Um, we can do that in different ways depending on the channel and depending on the client. But having a great brand, having a wonderful set of products and having the resources available to allow you to showcase what you have as a brand are so important. And then digital is just for me, the cherry on top, uh, because I think if you have those three components and you're trying to grow a digital business, which is part of my role here, um, you really have a, a wonderful advantage. Mm. Uh, now, yeah, you can blow that all up. Of course, if you, <laughs> if you don't do things right, but uh, I mean, for us and for me, that's what makes my job so fun is that I come in already with those, those, those three pillars already in place. Um, and for me is, is to really, my job really is to one, obviously not mess it up and tear it down, but to enhance it. And, and, and then for me, it's how do you enhance it? What tools do you need? What softwares do you need to bring those three pillars to life? Yeah. And of course, I mean, you're having great success. And also my colleague, Erica Goldwater points out that, uh, you won an award last year for top luxury brand. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, we won. Uh, well, we, we, we won, I think we came in last year the number one ranking for you know hard luxury in the l2 study if if that's what um i think that might be what she is referring so what would you say were the the main reasons why you were selected for that 
Well, I mean, it's it's always a subjective uh, award, and we're obviously thankful for it. And it and it does demonstrate the hard work that we've been doing. And and to be to be quite honest, I mean, a lot of it is 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 really trying to improve our user experience. Mm. Um, and part of that user experience and and is obviously the, the the look and feel of the website, but also part of that is the user experience is the information that we're displaying on that website. And yeah. You know they go hand in hand, and and of course we're we're not resting on that. I think it 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 demonstrated that with a little hard work and uh, and ingenuity we can improve our user experience. And and I, I'm the first to point out that our user experience is far from the best it could be. I mean I think we're being really pushed by much more digitally savvy uh, industries. You know whether it's Netflix or somebody like Tesla or Amazon. Yeah. I mean they're, they're, these these are the the trendsetters. Um, and I think what we'll see is the demonstration of the L2 success uh, got people really energized of what can be done, again, aligning these resources. And I think you'll see over the next, let's call it uh, six to 12 months, a very different uh, digital display of what we're doing uh, on our different screen experiences. Again, that's websites, mobiles, you know, out of home. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, I think that yeah, we're we're proud, but we're we're not sitting still. Yeah, and we're also very proud and excited to you know have to make this journey together with you. And I mean, Tom, uh, so much appreciate you being on uh, the Pim Talk podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. And we could have talked a lot longer, but uh, and we, I have more questions as well here that I could ask for, from our audience. But I think we need to stop here for now. So uh, we'll we'll save that for part two. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Tom, and uh, I'll see you around. Thanks a lot. See you soon. So right now, I mean, events and so on is on a hold, but we are doing more and more webinars, both demo webinars, uh, webinars together with our partners in all kinds of topics. And uh, we're also launching some specific webinars around syndication that is sort of in focus uh, for the moment. So check those out and go to our website and look under events. And uh, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, for instance, that is a good way of also be kept in the loop with upcoming events. Uh, we're also doing some, some trainings. Currently, they are also online. So, of course, we, we have our preparatory course that has been online for quite a while. But now we're also starting to do business consultant uh, training online. And we haven't exactly set all the, the days yet. So um, we are um, doing remote training sessions with also a live teacher. And you can sign up your interest and then we will schedule a training and let you know uh, when it's going to be. So go into river.com as well and look into the training sites and uh, sign up for a course. And uh, well, I hope we get an opportunity to, to see each other soon, but uh, feel always free to reach out to me or to someone else at InRiver on anything where you would like to talk about the product or if you would like to you know, give some feedback to us, always appreciate it. So see you around. Thank you for listening. 
for feedback, tips and questions, you can email us at pimtalk at nirriver.com or message us at pimtalkpodcast at Twitter. Please, if you like the show, go into iTunes and give us a good review. And if you would like to see some behind the scenes material, bloopers and live streams, you can follow Pimtalk on Instagram. See you again in two weeks. Bye. Let's talk about him.